Can we talk something else? Can, can we talk about something else? Hello. Out there. I've never liked malls. There's an empty feeling I get with everything seeming so artificial. The conditioned air, echoing music, the din of a hundred boring conversations. Everything bright. Save the people. Farm animal. Like humans. Food courts full of dead-eyed cattle. Chewing cud. Glass ceilings streaming too white sunlight onto escalators moving slack-jawed turkeys. Everywhere, there's a stunned hubby who trails his fixated wifey, dragging their kiddos into caves full of glittering junk. Fuck them all. Let me out. God, I'll pay anything. Let's buy all of it. Buy everything in the mall. As long as I can leave so. Yeah, that dress, that looks good. Looks great. Grab it. Oh, you got to try it on. You don't know your size? No, that's cool. All right, nice. I'll uh, just be trying not to stare at these racks of lingerie while you're fitting yourself. No problem. Am I okay? Yeah, sure. I'm great. I'm going to... Actually, I'm going to wait out front and smell people. Take your time, honey. And out there, it's the usual nightmare in a mall for a man (laughs) until a mother walks past with her little girl dressed in rose. Like a dream. The two are smiling and they're holding hands. They are shopping together. Maybe for someone they both love. And who loves them. And I remember one of the most disturbing cold cases in recent history. I remember seven-year-old Joey Bukikio and her mother, Nancy. I go back into the store and my girl's hurrying out of the change room. She's worried that I'm fed up. And I grab her hand, a little too tight. She doesn't like the dress, also a little tight. And she asks if I want to go, do, you know, we want to say fuck this situation. And I say, hey, no, relax. Let's just go ahead, try another one on. And she asks if there's anywhere I'd like to go afterwards. And I say, I'd like to go look at the books, upstairs, chapters, Indigo, Barnes Noble. One of those things is up the escalator, right? With all those turkeys in the bright white. And she smiles. And she says, yes, it is up there. And she goes back into the stall and she takes her time trying on a new dress and she gets the right one. And soon we're two turkeys in the sunlight. Then later, after a few more caves full of kids' clothing for our kids, we're a couple of cows chewing cud in the food court. The two of us, we eat and we laugh and it's good. We're a part of it. And I look for the girl and her mother, and I realize they are everywhere, in different forms, now that my black-tinted shades are off and the rows are on from that little girl and her mother walking past. And, you know, the cows and the turkeys, they're all just people trying to enjoy themselves. Their mothers and their fathers and their grandpas and their grandmas and their sons and their daughters and everything in between. And though I truly do hate them all, I enjoy the day as I should.
like we all should, by making the most of it. I enjoy the day like it's not promised, like outside of this mall, there is nothing but the darkness behind a pair of blacked out shades. Welcome to Dark Topic Cold. I'm your host, Jack Luna. This is a true crime still happening. The Mall Murders. Boca Raton just sounds like an expensive place to live, doesn't it? And it is. Located in Palm Beach County, Florida, Boca, as it's known locally, features beautiful weather, beaches, golf courses, high-end restaurants, high-end shopping, high-end living, basically. But back in 2007, if he visited its town center mall in a black SUV with tinted windows, it was also offering death on the high end of terrifying. What would come to be known as the Boca Raton Mall Murders began in March of 2007. And though it's up for debate whether all of the following incidents are connected, they certainly share the similarity of being on the high end of terrifying. And that's my last opportunity for a little fun poking at myself because I was so shit when I said earlier. So I took the opportunity because there's no fun to be had going forward here. March 23rd, 2007. Randy Gorenberg, 52 years old, originally from Brooklyn, New York, was the mother of two grown children and wife to a successful Boca Raton chiropractor. On the last day of her life, she had watched the Today Show and enjoyed a performance by John Legend. So she decided to hit the mall for lunch to buy his new CD and do a little clothes shopping. The socialite was captured by a mall camera checking her voicemail outside of an entrance before entering. At 1.16 p.m., Randy is caught by a mall security camera exiting. From there, we're left to assume that she approached her black Mercedes SUV. We have to assume because the high-end Boca Raton Mall, with all its fancy stores and overpriced merchandise, didn't bother with a whole lot of security outside of the stores. The massive surrounding parking lots are a carjacker's playland. Authorities will later predict that Randy Gorenberg had parked in a structure, which would explain how there are no witnesses to her abduction. 45 minutes later, at around 2 p.m., five miles north of the mall and a memorial park of Delray Beach, witnesses out for a stroll hear two gunshots then observe as a black luxury SUV pulls out from behind the South County Civic Center. A woman is unceremoniously dumped at the passenger side door. She has no shoes on. It's later thought that Randy maybe tried jumping out and was shot to death as she did so. When emergency services arrive, they find her with two bullet holes in her head. As I mentioned, Randy is barefooted but it appears the motive was not robbery as she still wears her Cartier watch, which has diamonds in it. She also has a diamond ring, a necklace, and strangely, she is wearing a cheap piece of costume jewelry on her hand, an interlocking ring that friends and family would let her say that they'd never seen her wear. She wouldn't wear such a thing. She's too high class, you know? And I don't mean to like, you know, kind of tear down someone who got murdered here, but like, truly, 
to act, why would she be wearing this cheap piece of costume jewelry? Did the killer place it on Randy's finger? Why would he do so? We'll likely never know, as this is a cold case. In a nearby Home Depot parking lot, Randy's vehicle is soon discovered. When the store's surveillance is reviewed, it has captured her stolen black SUV driving through the lot, closely followed by a white Chrysler 300. Unfortunately, there is no camera on the section of the lot where the vehicle is deserted. Investigators search the vehicle and they fail to find Randy's cell phone, her purse, or her black and white Puma sneakers. The John Legend CD that she went there to buy is in the player, giving us a clue that she had time to unwrap it and insert it, which means she'd been comfortably sat in her vehicle when the carjacking had occurred. Of interest, the John Legend CD case is not found. Excuse me, but why would the thief take shoes and an empty CD case, but fail to take an expensive watch and jewelry? Some speculate that the killer possibly touched the CD case, but did he touch his shoes as well? Uh, if he or she, my bad ladies, if they had touched a certain case, then they, he, probably he, touched a bunch of other shit, like the door and the steering wheel and Randy. But to my knowledge, no prints were recovered, although I did read that, quote, unknown DNA was recovered. It is thought that the white Chrysler 300 that closely followed the stolen black SUV was a getaway vehicle. This is a high-end car, so we're left to believe this whole mess happened, that a woman, a mother, a wife, lost her life over her Puma shoes and a brand new John Legend CD case. Obviously, there's more to this. Investigators run the plates and find out Randy Gorenberg's name, then her address. They have to do this because there's no ID there, right? And then they send an officer out to her $2 million home in Boca Raton to personally share the news of her death, her murder, to her family. Nobody is home. So the officer waits out front, and soon Randy's 25-year-old son Daniel comes speeding down the street and into the driveway. He is distraught and distracted, not noticing the officer as he wildly smokes a cigarette and argues with someone on his cell phone. When the officer approaches, Daniel is retrieving a spray bottle and a roll of paper towel from the trunk of his car. There's no reason for this officer to ask him any questions, you know, to, to try to incriminate him in any way. He just shares the news. And uh, it's obviously a lot to take in for Daniel. Eventually, though, Daniel is asked where he had been that early afternoon, and he claims to have been at work. Daniel's employer will later deny that he had been at work. When investigators request that clothing from Daniel on the day of the uh, murder of his mother be sent in for analysis, Daniel hands in clothes that are not the same as what the officer had seen him wearing that day in his driveway. Now, to be fair, I guess, Daniel was said to have a drug problem, so maybe he was just acting squirrely as a result of that. But his father was also acting weird about the whole thing. It's said that Stuart Gorenberg, the chiropractor, the you know, well-known chiropractor here in Boca Raton, 
didn't have a typical response upon hearing the news of his wife's murder. His main response was to put a lawyer between himself and the investigators, as well as between his son and investigators. There is no evidence that the two have anything to do with Randy Gorenberg's death, just heavy suspicion. There was actually a uh, press conference where Randy's mother and uh, Randy's daughter uh, spoke to the press and and, uh, pled for the public to help with the investigation. But um, Randy's husband, Stuart, and her son, Daniel, weren't in attendance. You know, probably because, you know, they're in suspicion, but it'd be nice if they had shown up, right? It didn't help their case. In 2011, a prison snitch will share that he overheard MS-13 gang members talking about the Randy Gorenberg murder and named a one Michael Barrera as a shooter. Barrera owned a white Chrysler 300 back in 2007. He also was wanted for bank robbery and attempted murder of a police officer while engaged in a high-speed chase of which Barrera escaped. Barrera is still on the loose to this day and was featured on America's Most Wanted in 2011. There is a photo and details of this wanted fugitive. I believe he's 42 years old now. It's in the show notes, but he's long gone and protected by this gang. The thought is that he was hired for this hit by somebody. This case, though, it remains cold. It is part of the Boca Raton Mall murders, and I had to include it. It's strongly believed it stands apart from what was to happen next in the surveillance-starved Boca Raton mall parking lot. Five months later, an unidentified 30-year-old woman and her two-year-old son exit the mall after some shopping at Nordstrom. It is around 1 o'clock in the afternoon when the young mother places her little boy in his car seat in the Boca Raton mall parking lot. She straps him in. It's a sunny day, middle of the afternoon. She just goes around to the trunk and she puts the um, stroller into the back of their black SUV. It's a Lincoln Navigator. She puts her shopping bags in the back as well. And then when the woman gets in to the driver's seat, she hears her two-year-old say, Mama? In the rear view, she sees that a man has covertly entered the back and is holding a gun to her two-year-old son's head. He is wearing driving gloves. He has a floppy hat on, something like a gardening hat or sun hat. Wrap around dark sunglasses, he's clean-shaven with maybe a ponytail and appears to be of Latin American descent. This terror demands the frightened mother to drive. She begs for her life on the drive and that of her sons. The man tells her to shut the fuck up and follow his directions. Over the course of 45 minutes, the abduction, well disguised by the SUV's dark tint windows, visits three drive through ATMs, and the woman is forced to withdraw 200 bucks from each. They visit a fourth ATM, but the maximum withdrawal amount has been reached. The assailant then directs her to a hotel parking lot. The little boy has fallen asleep. This has been going on for about an hour and a half. He orders her to switch seats with him. He wants to drive. And you imagine this, you know. 
It's a, a shitty fucking hotel, motel, corner of it. Nobody's paying attention. Cars are streaming by. Maybe underneath, like, you know, a tree. And uh, he's getting her out and swapping seats with her. And uh, in the back, once she gets in there, the man handcuffs the woman's hands behind her back with a cheap pair of handcuffs. The woman, the mother, again begs for her life, her son's life. And the man tells her that he won't harm them, that he doesn't need more problems than he already has. He then puts a pair of blacked out swimming goggles over her eyes, which is fucking terrifying. And he takes to zip tying her ankles together, then zip ties her hands to the hand rests and duct tapes them as well. Uh, then he zip ties her neck to the back of the headrest. Also fucking terrifying. This part, he does too tight, and the woman starts struggling to breathe. He loosens the zip tie and asks, Is that better? And she says, It is. Then the man decides to take out his knife and cut the zip tie off completely. He drives into traffic and is immediately frustrated because he's turned the wrong way. He's headed towards a toll on the Florida Turnpike, which will have cameras and people, witnesses. This gives the woman insight that he may not be from around here, having made this error. After a sharp U-turn, they're headed back to the mall, but the swift movement has the little boy's bottle falling, then rolling under the driver's seat causing the two-year-old to start crying. There's a tense moment. The mother, hands and ankles bound with blacked-out swim goggles on her face, likely isn't much help here. She must be thinking, oh my God, if he doesn't stop crying, this guy's going to lose it and kill us both. But then the man reaches under his seat and returns the bottle to the boy, which calms him down. The assailant manages to find his way back to the Boca Raton Mall and parks far from other shoppers. Then he unlocks this woman's hands, gives her his cell phone, and tells her to call someone for help. He directs her to tell anyone who asks that a short, fat, black man robbed her. He, of course, is a tall, thin Latino man. Before escaping, he threatens that if he sees his description on the news, he has seen her ID, and he will come after her. Then the door slams, and he's gone. She does call for help. It's her baby father's uh, phone that she calls, but she doesn't wait, and drives her and her son to the safety of the mall. The victim, she is known as Jane Doe. She survives what will prove to be an extremely dangerous encounter with an unsub. Of course, this was a terrible experience for her, but not nearly as bad as the next one I'm about to bring up. It is thought that Jane won the man over somehow. She was a single mother, a waitress uh, at Hooters, from what I learned. She was cooperative and sweet. Maybe she reminded him of someone, you know, her with her two-year-old boy. Maybe it related to his life in some weird way. He, this kid was sleeping beside him during this robbery, remember? It was kind of <laughs> probably tender, you know? This is the sense that I got. And she got as well, that they had won him over. She was very cooperative, and the kid was very sweet. 
But when he leaves her there, you know, with her son and, and tells tells her to not say a fucking word, she just, she gets out, she gets in the front seat and she drives to the uh, valet at the mall, the valet service, and begins hollering for help. This is when things begin getting somehow more frustrating for Jane. The valet doesn't take her seriously. Even with broken restraints around her wrists and ankles, blacked out goggles around her neck, it seems this is just kind of silly to the mall workers who approach her. But they call police because she insists, and when the police arrive, they have the same attitude. The story seems far-fetched. This is Boca Raton. Shit don't happen like that here. The result will be that the Boca PD deems this an alleged abduction. They don't believe her. <laughs> and I'm laughing because it's fucking so ridiculous. They don't believe her. And they decide not to worry the public, which is a massive error. Rosetta Stone, everybody. You know, for a long time, I've been wanting to go to Japan, but the thing holding me back is that I'm intimidated by the language. And that's why I've been going pretty hard at the Rosetta Stone service. I want to be able to take my girl to Japan, a place that she's always wanted to go, and suddenly just start speaking fluent Japanese at the restaurant. That's my goal. <laughs> Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on a desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It's been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users, 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. Rosetta Stone immerses you in a bunch of ways. Uh, there's an intuitive process where you pick up the language naturally, first with words and phrases, then sentences. They have the speech recognition feature. Built-in true accent gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Uh, it's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient, and it's an amazing value, especially with this offer here. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Dark Topic listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. All right, everybody, Badlands food. I've been thinking about getting a dog. With my little family, we're about to introduce a dog, I believe, at some point here in I have an interest in how we're going to be treating said dog. And it occurs to me, you know, that many dogs suffer from health issues. And with Badlands Food, actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. She's looking at their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that by just adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how anyone could do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. It caught my attention, and as I'm about to uh, get a dog, I think that I'm going to use this service so I thought I'd share it with the audience as well uh, I know many of you have dogs if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy go to badlandsfood.com slash dark topic and watch Catherine's video right now again that's b-a-d-l-a-n-d-s-f-o-o-d dot com slash dark topic 
to check it out, badlandsfood.com. All right, everybody, Zipix toothpicks. This is something that I use all the time. So this episode is brought to you by Zipix nicotine toothpicks. Zipix brings you a totally satisfying, convenient, and great-tasting way to curb your nicotine cravings. Now you can get your nicotine fix anytime, anywhere, without having to rely on smoking or vaping. Zipix toothpicks give you an easier, better, and more discreet way to get your fix. They're available in six great long-lasting flavors, and they have options in 2 milligrams and 3 milligrams of nicotine. Zipix are perfect for flights, sporting events, restaurants, podcasting, <laughs> uh, literally anywhere that you smoke or vape where that's banned. They're also one of the most cost-effective nicotine products on the market. Zipix also offers caffeine and B12 infused toothpicks if you're not a nicotine user or if you're trying to get away from your nicotine habit. Zipix have already helped tens of thousands of customers, including myself, to get their nicotine fix without needing to inhale smoke or vape oils. Make your lungs happy and try Zipix nicotine infused toothpicks. So ditch the cigarettes, ditch the vape, and get some nicotine infused toothpicks at zipixtoothpicks.com today. Get 10% off your first order by using the code DARKTOPIC at checkout. Your lungs will be glad you did. Must be 21 years of age or older to order. Warning, nicotine is an addictive chemical. Zip more, smoke less with Zipix nicotine toothpicks. December 12th, 2007. Four months past this incident. Jane Doe is just worried. Her and her two-year-old son, the guy threatened to kill her and come find her if she said anything. And she did say something, and they didn't take her seriously. And she's wondering if they'll just, like, leak a little bit of information, just enough for him to come and fucking kill her. But they don't leak anything, because they don't take it seriously. Not good for a 47-year-old single mother, Nancy Bokikio, and her seven-year-old daughter, Joey who enter the town center mall entrance. They enter entrance four of the mall at 2.20 p.m. And the two that can be seen on grainy mall surveillance entering by the Sears. And the entrance they go into, it's kind of like a cave, a cove. There's uh, trees beside it. There's this kind of brick around it. It's, it's sucked into the building. And they go in there. And they appear on the surveillance that we have to be joking and hugging while holding hands as they approach the entrance. This is a Wednesday, and Joey, the seven-year-old, has been enjoying a half day off of school due to a doctor's appointment. She had a heart murmur, her mother thought, but it turned out to maybe not be that, and um, they're a little relieved by it. So Nancy and the mother has decided they'll hit the mall afterwards for some Christmas shopping. Joey, her daughter, has a concert coming up tomorrow, Thursday, uh, the 13th, I guess that would be, of December. Uh, she's going to be a reindeer in this concert, and her mother wants to get a gift for a friend of hers that she will see there. Mother Nancy is described by her friends as tough with a good heart. She's sharp, intelligent, and an extremely proud and protective mother to her daughter, Joey. Nancy grew up in the Bronx of New York and is a successful stock analyst a job that's given her freedom to move around. And she has chosen Boca Raton for its excellent schools and weather, you know, there in Florida. And Joey, her daughter, is thriving 
as a result. She has a father, last name Hauser, I believe. And they, they all care for her. I mean, she's a very well-cared-for kid. This little girl is affectionately known by some as the mayor of Boca. She has a big personality, loves karaoke, making people smile, performing, eating. The little girl loves cuisine. Uh, that's why I mentioned eating. Like she's um, somebody. Somebody mentioned. I think it was true crime all the time. I listened to. It's another podcast. And uh, what was it? Criminology is a great podcast as well. That covered this case, and true crime, true crime garage as well, where um, they just talk about her not being the typical kid that just likes pizza and um, chicken or chicken nuggets. You know things like that. She wants things like scallops and oysters and shrimp and crab she has a sophisticated palate for a seven-year-old and her favorite restaurant is called cafe d'angelo joey the seven-year-old she doesn't know it but one of the owners of that restaurant one of the people that calls her the uh the mayor of boca because of her big personality you know he plans on dressing as Santa for her birthday and collecting the gifts from her friends beforehand and bringing them out in a sack, like, you know, like Santa, because it's, it's close to Christmas. All of this is to say that the mother and the daughter, Nancy and Joey Bocchicchio, have a good thing going here in Boca. The present and future are extremely bright. That is, until it's all blacked out. The two exit the mall at 3.11 p.m. And even though this upscale mall has had Randy Gorenberg carjacked, then executed from its parking lot, then months later had an ignored report of a terrifying abduction that left a live woman to be monikered Jane Doe as if she were a dead woman walking, even though these two incredible crimes have been initiated in the town center mall parking lot of Boca Raton, no security cameras have been set up. In 2007, they haven't set up any fucking cameras to give the public a chance to enter their vehicle safely after shopping. What a camera does, I don't need to explain this, but I mean, it's a deterrent, right? It's like having like the light on the side of your house. Like, Christ, put a fucking camera, at least put a fake one up. They have nothing in this parking lot of this high-end shopping center. It likely goes without saying, but I'll say it. When a police force or an upscale mall claims that they didn't want to worry anybody, what they're really saying is that they didn't want the hassle. The police department doesn't want the public pressure, and the mall doesn't want the public presence to dwindle. And now, a mother and her daughter are being carjacked, kidnapped, zip-tied, blacked out with those nightmarish swim goggles. They drive to a ATM, you know the routine. We already did this. I can only go skip right to this because we only see them walking out hand in hand, hugging each other outside with with their fucking gifts in their hand for the for the play the next day. We don't have any surveillance in the parking lot, so I'm just guessing here. But I'm assuming the same fucking thing happened. I know it did because on the cards of Nancy, it shows that she had to take shit out of the ATMs. You know, it's, it's the same shit. It's the same shit as Jane Doe. 600 bucks. Uh, but this time around, it's believed the assailant had a hard time maintaining control. There was a call to 911 from Nancy's phone. Soon after she'd last been seen with her daughter leaving the mall, 
and the call disconnected. When a 911 operator called back, there's no answer. When a friend calls Nancy around this time, just after she left the mall with her daughter, a man answers in Spanish, then hangs up when the woman begins talking. And now I have to skip forward. Just before midnight, a brand new Chrysler Aspen, a black SUV with blacked out windows, is found with his engine running at the far end of the Boca Mall's Sears parking lot. A security guard finds it, and he has a bad feeling. What the fuck is this thing doing sitting here idling with a couple of shadows in the back? The windows are tinted. He calls the police to come check it out because it fucking is freaking him out. Inside, in the back of the SUV, sitting in their individual seats, are Nancy and Joey Bocchicchio. Each wear blacked out swim goggles. Each are tied to their chairs. Nancy has a zip tie around her neck and fastened to the headrest. The restraints on her arms are somewhat broken, as if she had been railing against them before she was shot. Her daughter, young Joey, has suffered the same fate. Both are hours dead. And oh God, that's so fucking bad. That is so fucking bad, man. I had written it when I imagined had happened to them. You know, this is one of those crime scenes that uh, tells the whole story, doesn't it? I read it to my girl and she said, you know, I think just based on you saying that the restraints were broken around the mother's wrists, there was like these shitty fucking handcuffs that she had snapped and um, it was obvious that she'd been rallying against her restraints. I think that's enough for the audience, she said to me, to understand what happened here. But I'll go a little further. We'll hang out here for a second. He forced Nancy to go take the money out. Then he put her in the back the same way he did Jane Doe. And at some point, I guess that Nancy had fought so hard that he felt threatened. And he shot them. That's what I think. And oh God, that is... When I picture the little girl, you know... I've been, I've been working with this for a little while... And when I picture the little girl, the seven-year-old girl with all this um, spirit, and when I picture her, I picture being behind those goggles. And you're empowered by your tough mother. And she's got all this spirit from her mother, too, you know, and the whole world's ahead of her, and everything is fucking beautiful. Every day is sunshine. And then suddenly, you and your mother are blacked out with these goggles in the back, and there's this fucking guy ordering you around. And then you hear your mother get shot. For her... With my eyes closed right now, just just picture it, you know, with your eyes closed. And you hear it, and, and the person that you you look up to and you love, who's, who's the one who's guiding you and protecting you, just fucking, her light goes out. And for a moment, I mean, it's like you're on the precipice of everything. I mean, everything was ahead of you. And then a bullet goes into the head of you. As a seven-year-old girl, man, it's a brutal fucking thing this guy did. Anyways, I'm trying to be careful here, but I want to be honest as well. Many people believe this to be a work by a serial killer. Some have even suggested that the infamous Israel Keys could have been the perpetrator. I haven't covered him, but many people have. I'm sure you know about him by now, Israel Keys. And he does resemble a sketch that Jane Doe eventually provided with help from an America's Most Wanted artist. Uh, This case was featured on the America's Most Wanted show three times between 2007 and 2011. If it sounds familiar to you, 
I'm going to throw my two cents down the drain here quick on this. I think the first mall murder of Randy Gorenberg is unrelated to this almost unspeakable double homicide. I believe that this almost unspeakable double homicide is related to the Jane Doe case with her two-year-old boy in the back, their survived abduction. I think those are related. I'm no Sherlock Holmes, but those blacked-out goggles seem like a strong link between those two cases. I also think that the Bokikio executions were a result of a botched robbery. The vehicle left running feels like a panicked getaway. Like, why leave it running? Wouldn't that draw attention to the crime scene? Which it did eventually. I mean, the security guard, if it was just a dead vehicle not running, he probably wouldn't have called the cops, right? Not that it would help it either way, but I mean, it draws attention. Having a running vehicle is all I'm trying to say. So it feels like a panicked situation that happened there to me. Like a botched robbery. I think that Nancy Bukikio fought like hell. Like many of us would. And it freaked the perpetrator out. I believe Jane Doe survived by being cooperative. And that's not a knock on Nancy. Think about how many times being docile has gotten someone killed in the same situation. The Otero family murders comes to mind here. You know, when you think about the BTK murders, I've covered it. He walks into the house and tells everybody to get in the fucking room and ties them up. And, and they're docile. They're trying to get along. And then he just fucking kills them all. I mean, you can... <laughs> There's no right or wrong way to deal with being tied up and blindfolded while your child or children sob beside you. In the end, it just all depends on what your victimizer decides is best. And for me, I'd rather fight that. So I'm on Nancy's side here. I don't want to uh, victim blame here at all in any way. I would have done the same thing. I'd like to think I would have done the same thing as Nancy. I can't get it on my fucking head, can you? her railing against the restraints, her and her little daughter living this great life, and suddenly they go to their fucking car, they're just trying, she got her to school early, and, and they're just going to buy a fucking Christmas present for a friend of hers at the Christmas concert for her girl, her very talented, bright, beautiful little girl, that they're hugging each other as they come out of this fucking place, and this dude robs them for 600 bucks and decides to fucking put those goggles on them and strap them up with fucking... Restraints and then blow them away because what? Because she's fighting too hard for the life of herself and her daughter. And Jane Doe gets away because because he related to her, I guess. I mean, this shit is fucking bananas. This, and it's not bananas. This shit is just, it's just bad, man. You know, it's it's not a case of, of, of me trying to figure it out. I mean, this is a dark type of cold. I'm just saying it's, it's just laying there. And you, you don't got to listen to me. I'm guessing like everyone else. And my guess is that this guy was a weirdo. If he wants money, the vehicle's worth a lot of money. Why not like kick him out and steal the vehicles? Why not kill them if you want, throw them in a ditch and then take the vehicle? <laughs> it's very odd. It's like, okay, you want 600 bucks? There's easier ways to get 600 bucks, dude. The first was successful the second was botched, but I think there was an element there where he he was fetishizing it, he wanted the whole serial killer wacky aspect. That's a bit far for a robbery. You know, I'm rambling, man. But, like, it's it's a bit far for a robbery to put the goggles on, to have it all in a bag. He had, like, a hit kit, you know. He had a knife. He had the, um, the straps. He had duct tape. Uh, he actually had sunglasses that were blacked out, and he had goggles. They had this um, yellow 
aspect to them around the outside. Some people call them motorcycle glasses, but they're actually uh, swim goggles. And he's strapping those to their heads. Like, it's a terrifying fucking thing. But the reason why he's strapping those black goggles to their face is so that they can't identify him. Right? That's why. It wasn't just a creepy fucking thing to do before you kill somebody. So I, I, I really do believe that... um that Nancy fought very hard and spooked him, and, and he decided to kill them right there. And you, have you heard of another fucking case? Have you heard another case of fucking goggles being strapped to someone's head and they've been shot since? And I have to punch this in here real quick so it's going to sound a little bit different. Um, also, I'm going to sound a little bit different. I'm not as uh, sick and drunk as I was when I first recorded this, so forgive me for that. <laughs> but uh, Not drunk, but buzzed, certainly. You can hear me slur my words. But what I want to say is, that I held off on the reasoning why he would have to shoot the girl as well. And the reasoning in my, my mind is that if her mom is freaking out, she's freaking out too. And it's possibly drawing attention to the situation going on there. And I was withholding on that. But now back in the edit, I think I, I need to add that in just for some kind of clarification on, as to why I think that he would have done that. Again, just my personal uh, um take on the whole thing. No disrespect. This guy's underground. We're not dealing with a serial killer. We're dealing with a botched robbery. And uh, that is my opinion. But I'm just guessing, like everyone else. <sighs> There's nothing warmer as a result of people like me throwing around their thoughts. In fact, as time goes by, things in the mall murders case of Boca Raton just seem to be getting colder. And that'll, that'll do it. That'll fucking do it for that. I was drawn to this case because of those goggles. That, that was such a terrifying thing to me, but I kind of worked through it on, on the episode. Like, uh, it absolutely was just a way for him to skew them being able to identify him, right? Why the fuck else would he put him on there? I feel like he was like a wannabe serial killer dipping his toe in. And, uh, you know, he hated the temperature when he did it. And he, and he disappeared afterwards. Not not a wannabe serial killer. Just a, just like a over-the-top fucking robber. 600 bucks? I already said it. But I mean 600 bucks in both cases. Hey, let's go to this one. Let's go to that one. Let's go to this one for 200 bucks a piece. Like, Christ, dude, just take the credit card. And you can siphon that, right? What do you need 600 bucks for? And, and to put yourself at risk, to, to walk up to the car, to slip in. In the Jane Doe case, he had to slip in while she was fucking walking from the stroller and the bags in the back to the front, to her, the, the driver's seat. He had to slip in with a child in the back. Like the risk this guy's taking for $600 is amazing. It's almost like it's the thrill of it. Which is, uh, God, it's compelling, isn't it? Strapping their fucking necks to the back of the headrest. You know, anyone listening who like uh, is involved with Reddit will tear me apart for this. So you, you guys go nuts. But hey, remember at the end of the day, nobody knows what the fuck. Nobody knows the reason why. The FBI joined the investigation. Uh, Nancy's credit cards. Nancy Bocchicchio, the last victim there with her daughter, Joey. Her credit cards are found in Miami in an African-American neighborhood. And he said, I'm a, tell, tell him I'm a short, fat, black guy, right? Um, 
but in reality, he was a six foot tall, medium built Hispanic or white guy with a ponytail. There are images of him in the show notes. I don't expect to solve this case just by making this episode, so I'm not going to give you 1-800 numbers or whatnot, but I will share that there was uh, also an incident of a man with a gun in a different parking lot in Boca, August 10th, right around the time of the first stuff. You know, it, it was in, what was it called? Meisner Park. It was three days after the Jane Doe abduction with her two-year-old. It was a woman in a dark luxury SUV, again, and she threw money at her perpetrator and screamed to be left alone by him, and it spooked him. She came forward after the Bukikio murders, but very little details were released about her or the assailant. She was perhaps scared, and uh, maybe there was more to it than she felt safe sharing, and then maybe there was more people. You know, he threatened Jane Doe. He said, I'll come and get you. Maybe there was more people that had been uh, accosted and didn't come forward. If she's listening, Jane Doe, whoever you are, please reach out. It's uh, darktopicpod at gmail.com or anybody who knows anything else about this. I can follow up on it. Um, That's all I can offer outside of just telling a scary story. People think that maybe he worked at the mall at one time because his knowledge of there being no security cameras there. Did he have knowledge of that? Why the fuck wouldn't this place have security cameras in the parking lot? I bet they do now. Anyways, the... uh, FBI and the Boca Raton Police Department, Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, they couldn't get along. (laughs) And uh, they broke up their joint task force soon after uh, starting to collaborate together to solve this because they couldn't get along like fucking children. And um, they've been dealing with it, you know, individually ever since. And they can't figure it out. Some people think that he was a college student trying to grab some money and was like fetishizing, fetishizing, like he was kind of doing the whole weird aspect of the the blacked out goggles and like kind of getting off and like the terrorization of it. And then it went too far in the one case. I I, I can get along with that. Um, Two homeless guys in this African-American neighborhood, uh, this black neighborhood of, of Miami, they found Nancy's cell phone and her credit cards to try to use them and they were ruled out you know they checked surveillance around the area they, they put a lot of work into this case um unfortunately they didn't set one fucking camera up in the mall parking lot after two people had been abducted from it because <laughs> you know i don't know 15 bucks would have solved it or deterred it definitely solved it. i mean uh, come close to solving you at least see a fucking guy moving around out there god damn it dude high-end high-end fucking mall Can you imagine people going to nordstrom and i don't know what the fuck these i hate malls i said it in the beginning i mean but like high-end shit and they come walking out and they only got one camera on them on the way in and the way out what if a guy runs out with a fucking big screen TV? Don't you want to see the car that he fucking drives away in? I don't, I don't get it. Oh, it's 2007. Yeah. From my recollection, 2007 had some fucking technology. No. Jane Doe, who had provided uh, the sketch once the Bokikio murders proved her story, um, which the Jane Doe abduction wasn't believed by police 
until the Bakikio murders happened because there was the uh, goggles and the fucking, you know, zip ties and all that shit. They didn't believe her until then. She provided that sketch to to the uh, America's Most Wanted. And and Jane, I mean, my God, she's still out there with her, her boy. So 2007, he was two. Uh, quick math, 10. He's like 17 years old, 18. And they're out there knowing this guy is still out there. Because he would probably be, what do you think? What do you think he might have been at the most 40? So he would be um, maybe in his mid-50s, right? Now, he's out there. This fucking guy that we were talking about this whole time, he is out there. Anyways, 1-800-DARKTOPICPOD uh, at gmail.com. I also have a Patreon. It was just very disturbing. I, I want to I wanna end this on a high note. <sighs> Joey Bocchicchio, the seven-year-old who was fucking shot beside her mother there. Her birthday was still celebrated at her favorite restaurant, D'Angelo's. And uh, Santa showed up, and he, um, they pretended to have a little party for her in there. And at Joey's school play, the next day that they were playing to bring gifts for friends to, that's why they were at the mall, uh, 400 students and staff had a moment of silence for him. Later, her grade two class planted a tree on the school grounds. Afterwards, they sang Joey's favorite song, this little light of mine. Until next time, keep those eyes cocked, those doors locked, and stay paranoid.